I want to thank you for joining into our Bible study this evening. And again, I want to encourage you to have your Bibles available and join me in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, if you have regularly been attending our services, probably seems familiar. And it is, because several weeks back we studied marriage. And we used 1 Peter 3 as our text to study relationally how marriage should work. In our study of 1 Peter 3, I found that I was referencing the end of that chapter throughout our sermons and certainly throughout my study. And I felt compelled to go back and complete the verses there in 1 Peter 3, and I think it helps us because our minds are already thinking in that way. I want to pick up where we left off. We read verse 7 to the husbands, and then in verse 8, before he really changes gears, Peter continues on in his relational discussion. And remember, his whole premise is unfair situations, people who are striving to honor God in less than ideal circumstances. So I invite you now to look with me in verse 8, and I will read there. Finally, he says, before I change gears, let me complete this thought he's writing. Be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. In staccato-like fashion, Peter is throwing out some mandates for our behavior. He has already, in great detail, addressed wives toward their husbands and husbands toward their wives. He is pointing us to live like Jesus lived, to relationally be like Jesus was. And there requires some real life change. In fact, I find the thesis in verse 10 where he says, He that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue. Now we're back to that again. That's what we've studied for the last several weeks. But what he is saying in there is if you truly want to live your best life, here are some things that you should be doing, some things that you ought to be doing. And I want to study this together. In order for us to live our best life, in effect, Peter is saying that we must spiritually mature. I could summarize it in these two words, grow up. I know that as a petulant child, I heard oftentimes the mandate, grow up. And I think that as Christians, we need a stern reminder, we need that interjection, we need to grow up. 
If we really want to have and live our best life, we need to spiritually grow up. Now, I'd like to act like at my stage of life, I have utterly rid myself of immature behavior. That I have completely and fully grown up. That I never act out in petulant ways. But I have to confess, a lot of my days I find that I still struggle with simply growing up. Let me read what one wrote. He said, in route to maturity, we all spill our milk. We all say things we shouldn't, and all of us fail at times to act our age. At times, we act like a two-year-old throwing a temper tantrum. Other times, we go through sweeping mood changes and pout like an awkwardly adjusting teenager. This process is called growing up. We can't minimize this truth, he wrote. It's painful. We all struggle through it by trial and error, and every now and again we fall down. But sooner or later we all have to grow up, and sooner is certainly better than later. So if I said to you, spiritually speaking, grow up, excel in spiritual maturity. You might ask, as I would, how do I know that I am growing up? If I look at a child, I can see them grow in height. I can see them grow in stature. I can see their vocabulary grow, their intelligence grow. How do I spiritually know that I am growing up? The beautiful thing is, Peter tells us, he teaches us here, here's how we can grade ourselves. By the way, growing up is a mandate within Scripture. It's covered within the Bible. We should ask ourselves, are we more spiritually mature this year than we were last year? Has the passage of 12 months made any difference? It should. The writer of Hebrews wrote this in Hebrews 5. He said, For when the time ye ought to be teachers... Ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. In chapter 6, he says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of baptisms and laying on of hands and resurrection and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permit. Grow up is the sentiment of those verses. It's time for us to move on to accomplishing maturity in Christ. The Lord's concern there is some believers seem to be perpetually immature and it is noticeable. Their actions reveal their maturity level and so here we can check ourselves. Now, I'm going to, from the onset, say as we work our way through this list, this tends to be over some principles that we seem to visit again and again and again. Seemingly, we rehearse these same points, but I cannot help that they are here again. One of the beauties of studying the Bible 
verse by verse, like we will through 1 Peter 3, is that the Bible sets the pace. The Bible sets the agenda. The Bible sets the emphasis. And so these truths are clearly an emphasis within Scripture. Let's walk through this, what Peter is saying here. Finally, if you want to check your spiritual maturity, check whether or not you are all of one mind. Be ye all of one mind. That is expressed authoritatively. Mind the same things. That's what he's saying. He's not saying we all have to carry the same opinion. He's not saying we all have to like and dislike the same things, and we all have to do things the same way. Ultimately, he is saying, mind the same things, mind the things of God. If you are aligned with the Holy Spirit, each as individuals, then in common, you will all be minding the same thing. There's an interesting corresponding verb that was used toward Peter by Jesus. In Mark chapter 8 and verse 33, Jesus, when he had turned around and looked on his disciples, rebuked Peter. You probably remember that. Saying, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Jesus has just talked about his crucifixion. Peter rebukes Jesus for talking that way even though Jesus was revealing the heart and the will of God. And so Peter is rebuked by Christ because they are not minding the same thing, the will of God. And Jesus uses an interesting phrase, thou savorest not the things that be of God. Peter, you and I are not going the same direction as far as God's will for my life is concerned. You and I are not savoring the same things. Savor to exhibit the peculiar characteristics of, to be going the same direction, the direction of God. Not merely agreement, not mere uniformity, but agreement reached by receiving the word of God and submitting to the spirit of God. That is the common ground that we all stand on. Are you with or are you against God? Are you for the Holy Spirit and for the Word of God or against it? The mandate is be all of one mind. Are you growing up? You want to live your best days? Love life? Have good? Grow up? Check yourself. Are you going God's direction? Then he says, as he continues on, having compassion one of another. Feel sympathy with. Convey compassion. Share in those same emotions. In Romans 12, a similar passage where, again, these principles are conveyed. Paul writes, Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Compassion. The same emotions. Join in with one another. This is a major reason people should be involved in a local church. It falls into that one another category. That we should be serving in a tangible way together in the church. There should be an absence of competition. There should be an absence of anger, of envy, of jealousy, of hate. 
because we should be compassionate one toward another. I've heard it said, maturity begins to grow when you can sense your concern for others outweighing your concern for yourself. Are you compassionate of other people? That's a tough one on the checklist. Have your concern for others surpassed your concern for yourself? Are you growing up? He continues on. He says, love as brethren. Be friends. The love of an affectionate friend. Brotherly love. Paul wrote to the believers at Thessalonica, but as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. A believer loves the brethren. A non-believer is void of that love. You're taught of God to love one another. This is how people will know that you are my disciples, Jesus said. You will love one another. One writer said, we cannot tell the precise moment that friendship is formed. Just like filling a vessel drop by drop, there is that one last drop which makes it run over. So, in a series of kindnesses, there is at last one which makes the heart run over and a friendship is formed. It's intentional. It is striven toward. Now, friends can hold us accountable, but we never doubt their love and respect. And the Bible says a man or a woman, a human that desires friends, that hath friends, must show himself friendly. So here's the question. Are you grown up enough to be dropping those drops of kindness towards others so that eventually their heart overflows and a friendship is formed? Are you working towards that? Loving as brethren. Family love. Be pitiful, he says. Be moved with compassion kindly toward other people. This is what Jesus did. He was pitiful. He had pity for other people. This is taking the same emotion, the weeping with those that weep, and turning it now into action. When Jesus saw the crowd of people scattered and frightened and hungry, he was moved with compassion towards them, and then pitifully he was kind to them. He showed his guts. That's really what that conveys. Someone needs that kind of action from you. None of us want pity. We're great at throwing pity parties for ourselves, but really this is not conveyed in a negative connotation. Being pitiful is showing people that you are feeling with them, that you are simpatico, you are working, endeavoring to solve their problems. God is kind. Jesus was kind. Aren't you glad that God was kind? The question is, are you and I kind? I am always struck. I I visit this often to discipline my own self, spiritually speaking, that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus and said, Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. 
Be kind one to another. Be nice to each other. It's strange that a competition arises, and certainly there are people with personality types that might tend to rub us wrong. And that's why, if we're ever going to live our best life, we've got to grow up. We've got to understand that being tender-hearted is a key part of what God wants from us. In Ephesians 4.32, when he says, be kind one to another, tender-hearted, tender-hearted is the same word that Peter uses as pitiful. Be tender-hearted toward people that are around you. They might not always have the kindest word, but they might be going through something. They might not always be up. They might not always be at their best. They might not always treat you fairly, but be tender-hearted toward them. Be moved towards them. Be courteous. Again, if Paul says, be kind one to another, Peter says, be courteous, be kind, be gentlemanly, be civil, be mannerly, be affable, be upbeat. There are people who are encouragers, putting heart in others, and there are people who are discouragers, taking heart from others. Spiritually mature, grown-up people are courteous, kind, civil mannerly, affable, gentlemanly. They don't lose their cool. They don't use harsh words. They don't throw their weight around. They don't treat others as if they don't matter. They don't discount the feelings of others so that their opinion and their way might be forced forward. They're courteous. A church should be full of courteous people, kind people to one another. You should esteem others greater than you do yourself. You should be concerned for the needs of others more than you are for the needs of yourself. You should not use harsh words and loudly vocalize your opinion, your hopes, your wants over others. Be courteous. Be kind. Now that takes some growing up. That's some harsh stuff. Grow up. It's a mandate from Scripture, and that's what it looks like. In verse 9, I think we could kind of wrap it all into saying, be forgivers. And again, this is probably a mirror of Ephesians 4. Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And in verse 9, he says here, basically, be forgivers. Don't render evil for evil. Don't get back. Don't strive to get even. He goes on, not railing for railing. Restrain yourself from saying anything ugly in return. Forgive. Well, they said this. I understand. I live it myself. And oftentimes, I'm the one that has said something offensive. But what he's saying is forgive. Don't say anything ugly in return. Rather, Know that you have been called, that you should inherit a blessing. So contrary, rather than revenge or rather than the harsh word, why don't you bless? Why don't you return good for evil that was done unto you? Keep in mind, you have been called to endure that kind of hardness. That's what Jesus did. Why do we always have to have our way? Why do we always have to get in the last word? Why do we always have to say it back? Why do we always have to hold on to that grudge? 
Be a forgiver. Refuse to strike back. Refuse to say the harsh word back. Rather, repay good for the evil because you have been called to endure that kind of hardness. It is interesting to note that we have been called to bear up under the unfair. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not right. That's what we've been called to bear up under. You want to know what a sure sign is that you are spiritually growing up? Stop striking back. Stop saying the harsh word back. Stop the sarcastic jab. Take the chip off your shoulder. The world is not after you. Not everyone is averse to you. Take the chip off your shoulder. Be courteous and kind. Start putting drops of kindness into the buckets of people around you. It's a sure sign that you are growing up. I find it striking that in verse 10, he literally says to refrain your tongue. I find it striking because we've just spent time talking about James chapter 3, fighting fire, renewed speech. And here again, this is scripture setting the pace, scripture placing the emphasis. This is not me trying to pace this out. Refrain your tongue. If you want to see good days and have a good life, Refrain your tongue. It literally sets the direction of your life. People who are miserable in life oftentimes are people who cannot control their tongues. Gossips aren't happy people. Slanderers aren't happy people. Evil speakers are known as being evil speakers. They have to live under that cloud that they continue to generate. Peter's actually quoting from Psalm 34, verse 12. What man is he, the psalmist says, that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil. To cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. That's exactly, that's a quote from Psalm 34. Pulled over here into the New Testament. And because we've taken all this time over the last weeks, I won't belabor it, but you want to know if you're grown up, are you refraining your tongue? Show me somebody who can refrain from gossip, from passing on the confidential information, from using guile, from telling lies, from manipulating situations, from expressing deceitful flattery, and I'll show you somebody that's spiritually mature. You want to love life and see good days, refrain your tongue. You want to hate your life and see some hard days, let that thing go unchecked. Make sure that everybody knows what's on your heart and mind. Make sure you always get even and live with a chip on your shoulder. Make sure unjust acts are always propagated and everyone knows. Or refrain your tongue. Purity and peace, that's what he says. He literally continues, and I won't take long. Let him eschew evil and do good. Turn your back on evil and strive to do good. That's what spiritually grown-up people do. And then he says, seek peace and pursue it. Why would I turn my back from evil? Because the Lord is watching me. Why would I chase peace down like it's a life-or-death situation? Because the Lord is watching me. I should zealously pursue peace with others. See, man, that's hard. Yeah, it takes a grown-up. It takes a spiritually mature person. But can I tell you, 
what he tells us here. The Lord is alert to the prayers of those kinds of people. Remember what he said to the husband? Don't mistreat. Don't be unchristlike in your relationship with your wife. Your prayers will be hindered. And he comes back here and he says, hey, Christian, if you don't grow up, if you're not spiritually mature, if you're not living this out, if you're not eschewing evil and doing good and seeking peace, your prayers will be hindered. Because God's aware, he's alert to the prayers of the righteous and not to the unrighteous. Have you noted that prayer is attached to the last two portions of study here? I want God to hear my prayers. I want God to hear my prayers. And God is telling me pointedly that there is something I can do. There's a way in which I can live that enables my prayers to be heard. That's practically relevant stuff. Do you want to have your best life grow up? Well, how do I know that I'm growing up? It's not merely the passage of time. It's not adding a few inches in height or learning just a little more knowledge or data. It is spiritual maturity. And this checklist tells us whether or not we are growing up. You want to live your best life? Here's some practical ways that you can see that that's right for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. It's confrontational. I pray that you'd help us to apply these principles. Seek to honor you in each of these ways. Help us to grow up, to be humble, to change. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week. Thank you.